cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Dr. Matthew Johnson, professor at John Hopkins. Dr. Johnson, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Doing good. Was it the first time you heard a story of like a breakthrough like this, where it was like a one dose and they were instantly fixed or improved? Did, did Were you skeptical? And then you, you continued to look into it? I mean, you had to have been slightly skeptical just hearing kind of like, the the complete change because typically that's that's rare exactly like you said you, you're not aware of any other uh compounds that can do this so take us through kind of that early feeling of the skepticism and then working through some of the things that kind of solidified your belief that this could be something that's a game changer my skepticism i guess was around and still is actually probably even more so just kind of the broader like you know to what degree does someone really change like so i don't know one of my, my, my things i focus on a lot is like yeah, you know using any of these substances doesn't necessarily make you a good person you know i think the changes are 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 relatively you know targeted which can have a profound impact on someone's life so you know there is some skepticism about the overblown claims so i i, I had met people that for example quit you know drinking from 12 steps so like and had one of these kind of aha experiences outside of psychedelics so i mean it seemed clear to me like as well as a training psychologist even before that in, in college that like sometimes people do have big experiences in their life that where they change it's not kind of aha moments where that change their life so it seemed credible that you could have these that psychedelics could be leveraged towards that and so it might be a little weird because i've one of the things I've, i told people to be skeptical of is that um it's become very fashionable for psychedelic scientists that say they were such a skeptic and they, and then they saw the results from their first study and then their eyes were opened and they, how did you get to the point? And at least if you didn't think it was a decent bet, how did you get to the point where you, like, let me tell you, it is really hard to do human research, <laughs> especially with the schedule one substance. You have to put in oftentimes years of work to get to that point, just to dose somebody. And like, it wasn't like you did this on a whim. Oh, let's do this experiment. And so take that with a grain of salt. It makes a good story. It makes for a good story. I was, please believe me, I was such a hard-nosed, rigorous, skeptical scientist, but I was so shocked by the results. Can you give us like some sort of like boundaries to demonstrate like microdosing, recreational range, and then heroic dose? Yeah. And again, caveats to all of this because, you know. Everyone's different. Yeah. And especially if we talk about mushrooms, because it's like just like oranges vary in vitamin C and sugar, like mushrooms are going to vary in psilocybin and psilocin contents. But the high dose being in terms of psilocybin, um, 30 milligrams or higher, you know, I guess you could count, you know, tw probably 25 and higher. Most of the work I've done is 30 milligrams, typically body weight adjusted. So have people over about 150 pounds get a higher dose. So oftentimes they're getting 45, 50 if they're a heavier person. We published some research suggesting you don't really need to do that. So the work going forward doesn't adjust for body weight. But um, that 30 milligrams, and this will probably be meaningful for a lot of people, is roughly equivalent to what Terrence McKenna, for those familiar with him, would called the, the heroic dose of psilocybin cubensis mushrooms, so five dried grams. 
based on average um, mushroom potency um, done by scientific analyses. So just make that real for people. You know, it wouldn't be uncommon for, you know, someone to, you know, score some mushrooms and friends are, you know, going to take them together. They'll split an eighth ounce of mushrooms two or three ways, you know, and that's not going to be a microdose. That's going to, and I should say a microdose is sort of opinions vary, but something like a half gram of mushrooms, like pretty small amount, like sort of if you, if it's powdered and packed into a capsule, it's like one or less than one capsule. Um, depending on the capsule size, but, um, and it's typically conceived of as like sort of one twentieth of what a full psychedelic dose is roughly speaking, but, you know, so a recreational dose might be sort of, uh, uh, and, and, you know, splitting an eighth ounce of mushrooms, uh, two or three ways. Um, I guess I'm going across, you know, grams and analysis. So what, uh, an ounce would be, you know, about 28 grams. So what an, uh, an, an eighth would be something like three, a little over three, three grams. So a microdose would be like less than one gram, maybe a half gram and three milligrams or five dried grams would be somewhere between an eighth ounce and a quarter ounce of mushrooms. That's not split two or three ways. That's one person taking it. So one person taking almost a quarter ounce of mushrooms or something pretty much in, in between an eighth and a quarter ounce of mushrooms by themselves. So, I mean, some people with experience out there might be, you know, saying, whoa, <laughs> like, you know, that, yeah, that's not what you <laughs> want to take it. That's there's always exceptions. There's always that knucklehead that like, well, they'll take anything anywhere. But like if someone, I put this, if someone's a burning man, they probably want to like get back in their tent, zip up for the night. Like they're not even like <laughs> able to walk around the playa, like, you know, you know, just shut it down for the focus night. on breathing. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's what you can handle. Like, for eight hours, no, no public, <laughs> like, yeah, interactions. Uh, Let's slightly switch gears and do a quick rapid fire. Mm-hmm. True or false? Cannabis is addictive. Yes, I- I'll leave it true. <laughs> I want to put a caveat in there, but like many, like most people that try it don't become addicted. And the consequences of that, I'm defying your rules, Brian. I'm sorry. The the consequences of people that have a a problem stopping are nowhere near what they are for alcohol and many other addictive. But yes, it can. People have some people, a subset of users have trouble stopping when they want to stop. It's very clear. Yeah. The number one thing a majority of society gets wrong about psychedelics. They don't necessarily lead you to become more ethical, better people. Necessarily. True true or false. All drugs have the same roughly abuse potential. False. True or false. The psychology of xenophobia hinders the public's understanding of the medicinal benefits of psychedelics. Oh, definitely true. A compound you have not studied, but are most intrigued about. By methoxy DMT. If psychedelics therapies fail or never make it, what's the number one reason why? Overzealous enthusiasm. What researchers or studies are a must read for you? The old days, the 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 first big group that doesn't get the attention, the Saskatchewan group um, that first discovered psychedelic therapy, Humphrey Osmond, Abram Hoffer, Duncan Blewett, etc. If you could put anything on a billboard, metaphorically speaking, to get a message to billions of people, it could be an image, a quote, or word, or something that inspired you. What's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, that's a good one. Rapid fire. Um, think beyond yourself. 
Ethics and money are no issue. What research or study would you do? Examining whether psychedelics can, uh, at least in some cases, lead to like telepathic abilities and, and psi phenomenon like that. Have you ever felt strongly one-way pre-study only to be surprised or shocked after it concluded? Yeah, with psychedelics? Yes, yes, yes. What was the study? With Salvinor and A, the degree to which people were actually having claimed um, subjective entity contact, that astonished me, um, the frequency with which that happened. And, and, and that that certain that certain people claimed even had incidental therapeutic effects from it. Um, which doesn't seem to be a common, like, reported anecdote with at least smoking salvi divinorum. What's your current perspective on the state of psychedelic research? Do you believe it's cult-like? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of cult vibes. Why? I think there's it's the same kind of mistakes that people make in other areas. I think there's a lot of hero hero worship. And I don't know. I know people can say, well, you know, I'm trying to, like, whatever. Like, I want to be an act. I, you know, I've done a lot of work in the area and I, I, I like talking to the public and letting them know what I, I know. But at the same time, it's like, I'm just a person. I just want to remind people. I'm just like someone who had an interest in this stuff and went to school long enough to study it. And so I think people need to check their egos. I think there's a lot of ego inflation amongst uh, certain scientists, not all for sure, but there is a like a, a weird hero worship. Um, and uh I think there there are scientists and clinicians that want to fill in the blanks for people, like because when people have a huge psychedelic experience, oftentimes they confront the big questions. Does God exist? What's the meaning in life? What's the nature of reality? Like when people often say it's the most meaningful experience of their life, like that's easily taken advantage of. So Matt, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to read more. Where can they find you? Um, probably the best place is follow me on uh, Twitter or X, as they say these days, at drug underscore researcher. Awesome. We'll link it up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. This was fun. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.